Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Welcome to 2020 Politics War Room. James Carville is in Louisiana, and I'm Al Hunt. What a week. I mean, Iowa last week, New Hampshire this week. Lord knows what's ahead. But I want you first to please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And James, before we get going, I want to, you know, we I want to thank again the Sign Institute at AU Public Policy, headed by the great Amy Dacey, our partner here, and the AU Eagles, the men's and women's team, James. This will interest you. They beat Army and Navy this past week. How about that, huh? All right. All right. Go Eagles, man. We're flying high. AU and Northwest Washington, one of the most beautiful, well-located campuses anywhere in the United States, by the way. With a president who is who is unsurpassed, Sylvia Burwell, you couldn't ask uh, for anybody else. Who, who worked for me in 1992. Oh, wow. She's, uh, she's grown, James. Was a <laughs> ophthalmologist, like in Charleston, West, West Virginia gal. Yeah, yeah, she was a Rhodes Scholar. Listen, speaking of the best, we have got the best today uh, in this uh, turbulent uh, uh, political world. Terry McCullough, former governor of Virginia, former DNC chair, top advisor to Bill and Hillary Clinton. There's no one that understands the rhythms or lack of the same of American politics better than the governor. Terry, thank you for being with us. Good to be with you, man. I've been doing this 40 years, man. I'm old as dirt. Oh, you don't know what it's like to be old till you talk to Carville <laughs> and me. <laughs> we're, 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 we're just about as old as Joe Biden. Uh, look, uh, hey, Terry, uh, yeah. New Hampshire. Uh Beat Bernie one two Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, Amy kind of snuck in there for kind of a third place in New Hampshire. Biden and Warren look like they're on their last legs. Yep. Where does this thing stand now? Well, I tell you, we've never seen anything like this before. Usually, Iowa and New Hampshire a win-win process. It is expanded. Um, I would make the argument, you know, Bernie had been campaigning for six years. High expectations in Iowa didn't meet those expectations. Supposed to win New Hampshire. He won it 60, you know, 60% of the vote the last time. Got 25 this time. Lowest winning percentage of any candidate to win the New, uh, win the New Hampshire primary. Right. I think the big news out of it, obviously, I mean, you got to give Pete Buttigieg credit. I mean, this was this was a guy who ran for DNC chair uh, a won. couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, mayor of a small town. And, yeah. <laughs> and now look at him today. Uh, I think he would have won. I think, obviously, Amy had a very good debate. Had she not had a good debate, I think Pete Buttigieg would have won it by five or ten points in New Hampshire. She took his votes. So when you move to Nevada and South Carolina, which is next over the next uh, uh, two weeks, uh, totally different. One totally different. A caucus like Iowa, but a different kind of a caucus, Latinos and a heavy African-American. So and what do you, I mean, there's, what do you look for there? There's no, if Joe Biden's slipping, there's no natural candidate. Certainly in South Carolina, is there? Well, Joe keeps saying, you know, South Carolina, I, I disagree with that strategy and that he's got to do well in Nevada. He could win South Carolina, but that is on Saturday the 29th. Three days later are 15 contests, 14 states. Uh, you've got Texas, California, North Carolina, Virginia. Over a third of the delegates. Yeah, on one day, 38%. you got to raise money. Well, you can't win on a Saturday. The next day is a Sunday right. and deposit money and buy TV. So he's he's got to show that he can do something in the next, you know, 10 days. So he's got to win He's got to win Nevada. I think he's got a big win. He's got to win Nevada. I think Elizabeth Warren is in a very similar. Joe, at least, has made the argument these are two white, white states. I mean, they are two of the six whitest states in America, Iowa, New Hampshire. I have long advocated to get rid of them. I think we should get rid of all caucuses. I have argued when I was chairman of the National Party, I brought up South Carolina, I brought up Arizona, I brought up New Mexico, Michigan, to show the diversity of our party. So, you know, I'm not a big fan of those first two contests. So Joe's argument is, I'll do well with the African-American community, but he's got to show he's got strength in the Latino community. Let me ask just one question, James. One more question, and then I'll turn it over to you. You mentioned Super Tuesday several times. There is a big new entry uh, starting March 3, who I understand has some pockets, named Michael Bloomberg. Yep. Uh, can you see Michael Bloomberg, a Republican mayor of New York City turned Democrat, might spend as much, some people say, as $2 billion 
could he be viable? I think he'll spend up to three. Yep. Uh, I just did a press conference with him in Richmond. Um, you know, I'm neutral because I'm a CNN commentator. But when I ran for governor, he was very helpful. And more importantly, he gave me millions of dollars to help me win at our state level on the issues of gun prevention, on the issues of climate change. So, you know, he, he, he helped me a lot. I did a press conference with him down in Virginia. Uh, he's popular there. Sure. I mean, you spend, you know, Al, you put $3 billion out there. We're going to put you and Judy in the White House. I'd I like mean, to have that opportunity. Yeah, James mean, Carville, weigh in. So, all right, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Joe Biden. All right, I, I, I'm going to speak for both of you. I know both of you well. Joe Biden is, is, is a very good man, nice man, good Democrat, has done many admirable things in his life, is worthy of our love and respect. However, in my opinion, he has been the most destructive force for nominating the kind of people that we'd like to be nominated. Because when he ran, I think he had a, a influenced Terry McAuliffe's decision not to run. I think he influenced Mitch Landrieu's decision not to run. I think he blocked access of, of, of Michael Bennett or Steve Bullock or Cory Booker or other people. And he just sat there at the beginning, just sitting on top of 30 or 33% of the vote. And it was never going to happen. And now it's collapsed. We're stuck with this. And I, 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 I hate to say this, but in some ways, I think Joe Biden is responsible for the state of affairs in, in the current Democratic Party. I, I, I agree. It was a big factor in my decision of whether I was going to run. I went over and spent hours with Joe Biden, hours with him talking about it. I think a governor should, should be the nominee. I mean, governors, we run states at 110,000 employees, a $109 billion budget. Let's just say where, where we are, all right? So today, let's talk about Mayor Mike, because we have to. So today, he's at the, we find out he's at the Aspen Institute in 2015 saying, well, Russia annex Crimea because we kind of like annex California. we got to be a little careful. A little bit before... He's commenting on China and Hong Kong. Well, they're, they're kind of a democratic government, and is really responsive to public opinion. All right, what I think is going on here, they have business in Russia and China. It, but don't you think that this issue is going to get flushed out here very shortly? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, listen, he got dusted up yesterday for a radio interview he had done when he was mayor about taking young African-Americans and putting them up against the wall. So. Uh, as we all know on this, all of us sitting here, we've been through this a long time. There, If it's out there, it's coming out. And we are in a in a tough shape today. So look at our front runners. Look at what's happening. I think, I've, first time I've said this a long time, there is a real distinct possibility. We get through March 3rd. There's still going to be three or four planned. Two billionaires still in the race. This thing could go to Milwaukee. Yeah, it, it could. Yeah. It could. I, you know, listen, I think James, I think James raised a good point. I, I worked for Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg News, not Michael, uh, for 14 years. I've known him for a long time. I think he is a, uh, you know, a total straight shooter. I have confidence as a man who would run a very ethical White House. He should announce right now that he is going to sell that company uh, if he is elected. You can't put it in the blind trust because it ain't blind. And after Donald Trump, he ought to do that because James is right. There are going to be other stories about this, and he ought to get out ahead of it. Uh, I, but any of my Brian Bernie's, like my child, is is running the South for him. Walter Isaacson, who, who I love as much as anybody in the world, is calling James. Ann Milling, who's like runs the poll uptown New Orleans, is like calling me. And I'm not going to endorse anybody because I'm Masonic. I'm like you, terrible I'm a under NBC skirt, okay? But I have to anyway. But I'm not going to endorse anybody. Yeah. But if we don't talk about yeah. where these vulnerabilities are and address them and deal with them, just like we had the Biden vulnerability of me telling the New York Times when he announced the only organization that is and has been run by 80-year-olds is the Roman Catholic Church. Why we didn't, but it doesn't do you any good if you don't flush these things out and talk about it. And of course, I'd be for, for, for Bloomberg. I think he was a competent mayor. I, I, I'd like to hear him string a sentence together just for fun. I hadn't heard in five years, but I think we're going to get a chance to see him in, in Nevada. And, and all I'm going to be looking for is, you know, he doesn't have to be great. He doesn't. Everybody says he's he's not a great speaker. He's not that comfortable speaking. All he's got to do is just be coherent. And I'll be happy. 
Oh, he'll. I'm convinced he'll be that. He's not warm and fuzzy. He's not going to work a rope line very well. He's not going to be a great candidate. But I think he'll do fine in debate because he's smart and he'll be prepared. But, you know, you're right. It's a big test. I'll trust you, but I'll verify. No, no, you're right. I mean, Terry, what do you think? Yeah, listen, he obviously, you know, on the plus side, this guy has built, as he talks about, his father made six grand a year. He built built a multi, multi-billion dollar operation, hired thousands of people, paid him extremely well, gives all of his money to charity today. So, listen, he's got some things he needs to talk about. And he about. was a good boy by all accounts on the whole. He's a good I, mayor. I believe yeah. like a good, a, a competent, a really competent mayor. Everybody that ever dealt with the city of New York when he was there was always impressed. The meetings were, you know, it was, there were, it was a well the extent you can run New York well, it was well-run city. I mean, of course, he had all any issue like any big city mayor has. But, I, I, you know, he got, he's a three, three-term three mayor. They, they kind of st- stuck a pitch by on the third time, but that's okay. I'm, I'll give him credit for that. But, I mean, there's some questions coming up. Oh, it's going to be tough, yeah. And the other issue is going to be, let's say we get to the convention. Let's think about this for a second. Let's assume... I mean, he's a factor because of the money. Right. I live in Northern Virginia. There is an ad every three minutes. I've never seen that. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's all over the country. He's got over 2,000 staff today. He's paying them all the way through November. The one benefit to many of his ads, really going after Trump. Right. So he's softening Trump up. I do like what he's doing And he's there. doing digital, which the Democrats doing a lot are of really behind on. But we get it to Milwaukee. Let's just say he's there. No one is going to have 1,991 delegates. I don't see that. I remind you that Barack Obama did not have it when he ran in 2008. Uh, Hillary did not have it in 2016. They had to throw, you know, the other candidates had to move their delegates. The only guy to do it is John Kerry back in 2004. Is there ever going to be a Sanders delegate at that convention who would ever vote for Michael Bloomberg? No, I find I, that highly. Terry, unlikely. I think you're so right. But what it is, is Tom Perez, the chairman, stupidly caved to the Bernie people and superdelegates don't get to vote in the first in the first round. Who are superdelegates? They are congressmen. They are senators. They're governors. They are the people who make governing and the party work. I mean, why the hell would you want to leave those people? I mean, basically elect the president to govern and they get to vote on the second ballot. And if it's Michael Bloomberg versus Bernie Sanders and the superdelegates put him across, which they probably would, I mean, the Bernie bros will go ballistic. Well, the other thing I'm unhappy about the party about right now, let's be, you know, they capitulate on a lot of stuff for Bernie as it related to what we're going to do in the Iowa caucus. Right. So they added these two extra vote totals that were going to be reported. I cannot tell you how embarrassing it was for our party in the middle of everything with Trump's acquittal, that we couldn't count 170,000 votes. Terry, right. you, Al, uh, between us, we're probably 150 years in American politics. For, for, the, for the longest time, we worked in campaigns. You ran for office. You covered them. I managed them. The polls closed. We, we sat in front of television. Uh They'd call in if you're governor of Pennsylvania, you run governor of Virginia, generally about 930 at night. You know, like Miss Mabel at, at Shenandoah County, Ward 2, Precinct 41, calls in and says the Republicans got X votes, which is a lot more than Democrat would have in Shenandoah County. It's a Democrat. Somebody transcribed it in the Secretary of State. That was not broken. You could just, why did you have to get a phone app to do something, in my experience, Harry Truman, they counted votes back then. Yeah, well, James, you're right. But Terry's point is is absolutely dead on. It was the National Committee that insisted you have to put all three together. I mean, Well, they the, did it for Bernie because they wanted the total vote total. Right. The Iowa party screwed up. There's yeah. no question of that. And it was 70,000 votes less than we had in 08, and they still couldn't do it. Right. I, I understand, but why? It, the part of the job, you think if Ron Brown... Would you think when Terry McAuliffe was running the National Committee and you had the most important night of the year for the Democratic Party and the Iowa Party said, we don't want you involved? You think Terry McAuliffe said, I'm going to fly out to Des Moines. Now, let me sit down and we've got to have technical assist here. You let me know what we can do to back you up, Mr. Chairman, because it's, it's the same thing as saying that the Louisiana people could take care of Katrina. No, we can't. We're overwhelmed. That guy that runs the Iowa Party does not have the expertise to do that. And the, the I think idea you're being a little that, delicate. I think I would have had a better, a little tougher conversation than right, that. Right. Because this right, reflects I, I on the national party. You would have never let that party go off on its own and do that. Ron Brown would have never done that. All right? And if I was managing the campaign and I had a DNC chairman, I'm going to say, get your fucking ass back over there and make sure these people get this thing right. 
I, I think that's closer to what Chairman McAuliffe uh, might have said. Look, let's. Let, it was a total. It's awful, and they're still paying a price for. It. But 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 speaking of paying a price, let's look at Terry. I mean, Nevada, right now, sitting out in Nevada are two really important forces. Harry Reid, who's still, despite cancer, is really active, yeah. and the culinary workers. Yeah. I gather they both are, they're just, they're they are stymied. They wanted to be with Joe. Joe's not, they don't like Bernie. They don't like single payer. They don't have much of an option. They've gone nuclear on Bernie, as you know. They've they have. They've contacted their 60,000 members. But, but. But Bernie, Bernie is the one. Other, Mayor Pete apparently has a pretty good organization out there. But Bernie's got, you know, the residuals yeah. of left of, of 2016. Yeah. He's gonna win again. But don't forget, in 2008, President Obama had the culinary. We did not, Hillary. Right. And we stomped them in every single one of those satellite caucuses. Stomped them. You barely the beat those casinos. Barely beat them, and he got more delegates we, in the vote. But we won the popular. We won in every did. one. Every yeah. one of those satellite yeah. casinos, we won. Yeah. So my only point with the culinary is. Don't put too much credibility on that. Uh, my only point is you don't know what's going to happen. No, but if they sit it out, that helps Bernie. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. What, yeah, that's yeah. the point I'm making. Yeah. Um, because they're unhappy about the health care piece. Right. Yeah. So the Bernie the Bernie Bros evaluation of you is that you're corporatist to moderate Clintonian, uh, I don't know what. Would you just go through some of the progressive things that you accomplished through the use of politics while you were governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia? Could you just tell us that? that- yeah, I, mean, I, I can tell you a lot as governor. Forget about the economic. To, inherited the largest deficit, left the largest surplus as governor. We're taking over from the Republicans. I'm just talking about things that progressives would like. Uh, I restored more felon rights than any governor in the history of the oh, United oh, States really? of America. So you enfranchised. 206,000 felons more and was sued twice, taken the Virginia Supreme Court, and I won. Reduced my juvenile population by two-thirds. I banned the box. I took the Confederate flag off the license plate. A lot of good stuff. You were a great you were a great governor. There's no no question about it. You would have been a great presidential candidate, too. But, you know, we talked about Nevada. Let's go to South Carolina. I mean, you know, as many as 60%. Of that vote could be African Americans. They have been with Biden because they knew him, and he did very well. I mean, you look at the others. Bernie is not a natural candidate for African Americans, uh, and both Buttigieg and Klobuchar have their home states. I mean, Des Moines. They they say he fired a black sheriff, and the NAACP in Minneapolis is calling Klobuchar to suspend her campaign. There is no natural appeal down there right now, Terry. That's my point. Is I don't know why Joe keeps talking about South Carolina. He ought to put a big market down in Nevada. Right. He needs, if he's going to jumpstart this thing, he needs Nevada and South Carolina, and then he would have a credible he argument. He ain't going to jumpstart this thing, Terry. Yeah. I'm, I'm, okay, where are we? Yeah. All right, so we have what, what I believe is a sacred word at U.S. is politics. And I like the word coalitions, that you, you build a coalition, all right? So we need to have somebody with sufficient political skill that is able to cut the margins that we got beat by in 2016 in western Pennsylvania, northern Wisconsin, or, or, or central Michigan. And at the same time, if we're going to carry North Carolina and Georgia in particular, we're going to have to have somebody that can really excite, motivate, and turn out African-American voters. They're, they're going to be the key in places like that. In, in, if, if we don't recognize that, and in, in we let Bernie drive us toward purity tests, that's never going to happen. And in, in one of these people left have got to develop the political skill to walk into an African-American church in, in Princeton-Salem, a walk into... A, 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 you know, PTA African-American school meeting in Albany, Georgia, and, and campaign in Western Pennsylvania and cut the margins by 10%. I, I hope we find that person. I hope we find it because that's what we need. We need a, we need a, the party needs a politician. And I don't see any in there right now. Well, yeah, yeah I, I think you're absolutely right. One of those states, we talked about Super Tuesday, where over, over a third of the delegates are elected, huge states. One of them is Virginia, yep. 99 delegates. Right yep. now, Terry, it's two and a half it's weeks. the fourth away. biggest, yep. Yeah, right now, uh, you know, and let's say going in there, which I think is reasonable, it's Bernie, it's Mike Bloomberg, uh, and it's Mayor Pete. I'm just picking one of the others. Who yeah, still Biden's lead. still leading the polls, but right. that was But, but if, if Joe doesn't yeah. make it, if it's those three, give us yeah. an assessment. I, I, recent polls showed that, you know, Biden was still leading. 
and that Michael Bloomberg was really surging there. And the point, as I said earlier, he is on TV, and I will give him credit. His ads are very good. They are. And they're after Trump on a lot of issues. We have a lot of federal workers in Virginia. We have the most military bases of any state in America, 27, largest naval base in the world in Norfolk, Virginia. He is doing ads that are appealing. And, you know, Virginia is really five states. we got rural, suburban, and we got the whole piece there. And we need a candidate that literally can, you know, I spent as much time working on rural issues as I did on suburban and urban. You know, I reduced the rural population unemployment by 50% in every rural county in Virginia. I didn't care if you voted for me. I wanted you to have a job because everybody wants a quality job and a great education. I put more money, a billion dollars, largest investment ever in K-12. I put the most money ever uh, in our pre-K. You know, this is what people want to hear from us and to be talking about all these issues that are never going to happen. And now we're talking about how we lower prescription drug costs. That's what people want from us. And they don't want to hear about all of this stuff up here and I'm going to lose my private health insurance. Damn it, talk to me about what I face every single day. And the Democrats are not doing that. You think if it were, if it, if Joe does crater, which is a distinct possibility, Mike Bloomberg would be the favorite in Virginia right now? Uh, it, it's a tough question, Al. I mean, if Joe craters, where does that support go? I think probably people are, listen, we got this in the moderate space, call it. You've now got, you know, five people in it. <laughs> and they're all splitting up the vote. As I say, had Amy not done well in the debate, Pete would have won in New Hampshire, clearly. I think he would have won by five, ten points. So um, it's it's probably too early to tell. But I, my only point is I try to tell these folks, you got to start talking to people about issues that matter to them. And they just talk past people all the time. It drives me nuts. Oh, God, dude. It, there is, there is an utter lack of political skill that I see in his candidates or these campaigns. I, 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 it is stunning to me how nobody can deflect a question, can drive a narrative, can frame a message, can can not allow themselves to get down. I mean, you know, and I, I, you know, at each whenever something goes bad, that there's one moment where you go, oh my God, I didn't see this. All right, it used to be Bernie talking about a terrorist voting from a jail cell, and it ended up with Elizabeth Warren pledging that a nine-year-old could veto a cabinet appointee, all right? Now, understand that in New Hampshire, which is adjacent to Vermont and Massachusetts, the Sanders-Warren com- combo vote was 35. But yet, we are told that we are being dominated by the leftist wing of the Democratic Party. I do not know how punditry or journalism or anything else ever got to this point. Would somebody please read the election returns? That is a bad number for an ideological candidate. And one of the things that happened, people believe in New Hampshire, is that the turnout was up because a lot of more independents came in to vote against Bernie. That's not a good sign in a swing state like New Hampshire. That's not a positive thing, people. And in Iowa, 55% was in the moderate progressive, moderate space in Iowa. The other bad news from New Hampshire is that young people that have been the core of Bernie's support, the vote was actually down uh, uh, from last time. The vote overall was up. Well, listen, uh, speaking of being up, there's nobody better than Terry McAuliffe, and the Democratic Party would listen to Terry McAuliffe and James Carville uh, in, in these turbulent times ahead. And if anybody hadn't out there, Uh, If you missed it last summer, get uh, Beyond Charlottesville, Governor Terry McAuliffe, a New York Times bestseller for a kid. Did you get suspended in the third grade? Yeah, I got thrown out of third grade. Teacher said I talked too much. (laughs) Man, I can't So this is my second bestseller. I tell you, that nun would be rolling in her grave right now. Oh, (laughs) wow. Hey, Governor, America's Governor, thank you. You're terrific. Jeff Berman, a legend from the 2008 Obama campaign against Hillary Clinton, where he was the delicate guy and was able to project with unerring accuracy uh, exactly uh, what Obama needed to do and did. He's now working uh, with Tom Steyer, 
Uh, but we really want to talk to him, James, about what seems to be this incredibly complicated system of delegates. And it happens uh, soon on, on March the 3rd. I think it's over 33 percent, 37, 38 percent. And there are questions like thresholds and you can get a headache thinking about it. Jeff, what what do you look for now if you're, you know, go back. The rules are different than 08. You can talk about the differences. But 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 as, as we try to you know game this out. What do you what do you, what should we be looking at and what should we be looking for? Well, I, I think the uh, the way the delegates are allocated by the Democratic Party, of course, is pure pr- proportional representation, which is different from the Republicans. So we have to think in terms of how many candidates will there be who will be dividing up the delegates. And the delegates don't really start uh, adding up until Super Tuesday on March 3rd. So right now we're in this what I consider almost like the exhibition season or, uh, you know, where we have these four preliminary contests. And, uh, of course, it's Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina that occur back to back through the month of February. And this is the testing ground for the candidates. And so during this month, the real task is to establish your candidacy to get traction Yeah, maybe you'll win a few delegates, but there's less than 4% of the delegates in the country available this month. So it's really not about the delegates right now. It's about establishing your candidacy so that when we get to March 3rd, Super Tuesday, when there's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of delegates all available on one day, that you can win delegates in as broad an area as you can. So we hit that day, and I'm a candidate, candidate X, and I look at California, 416 delegates, or Texas, uh, 228 delegates, and it's done by congressional district as well as statewide, but mainly CD. So what do I do? I look and I say that I want to figure out uh, where I can meet this threshold or where I can reach top, I don't know, 67. I mean, give me the kind of calculations you make as you look at that. Right. Okay. So you're correct. About one third of the delegates are allocated based on the statewide vote, but most of the delegates, about two thirds, are allocated by district. And in every state, that's congressional district, except for Texas on Super Tuesday, they use state Senate districts. State Senate, right. Yes. And so what you need to do is you need to look at each district, you need to look at the voting history and the demographic makeup and get a sense of what is your candidate's strengths in which districts and which media markets are those districts in? What does it cost to compete in in those districts? And most campaigns, you know, they uh, basically match their budget and their their resources with what what are the opportunities that look like they're available to that candidate? You know, there's a increased speculation about Nate Silver, Ron Brownstein. I mean, people, really serious people are saying that, that there's a good chance that we get there without a, a nominee. You're the most experienced person at this in, in the country, probably, particularly on the Democratic side. Do you do you think there's a good chance we get to Milwaukee and nobody's at 1900, wherever they need to be? There's certainly a chance, and I would say a greater chance than we've seen in recent cycles Certainly in 2008 and 2016, we essentially had two candidates running. So unless we had a flat-out tie, somebody was going to get that majority. But uh, now we have so many candidates still in the mix. And, and what we don't know is how many candidates will be in the mix in two weeks. And I guarantee you the mix in two weeks is going to be different from the mix today. Uh, it'll presumably be a smaller mix, but we are in somewhat uncharted territories here. Uh, we started this race, as you know, with over 20 candidates, and uh, we have winnowed it down to, uh, you know, six or seven at this point. Uh, we had a few drop out this week, and so, uh, but it's not clear which of these remaining candidates uh, would leave the race before Super Tuesday or whether they all may be there? I think we have, I think we would assume two things. Number one, Sanders is not leaving, all right? And honestly, even if they can't win, they don't care. Sanders has always said he doesn't believe elections are so much about winning them as about ideas. 
he is going to take his idea. It, plus, that's how most of these people earn a living is, you know, off of campaign contributions. So he's in. He, he's not getting out. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah. Let, let, let me just say Senator Sanders is a United States senator. He draws a salary from the Senate. He doesn't need to run for he president does. to make a okay. dollar. He, 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 he hasn't pleaded. He, he has a committed ideologue. All right. He, I, I, he, he's not going to not run. Bloomberg is not going to get out anytime soon. Because most people get out because they don't have the money. Jeff is shrugging. Right? <laughs> who, who is? He's unless it's fifty-three billion. I don't think he can make it. The question is, after all the people going to have delegates, and probably somebody else is going to be Mayor Pete or, or Senator Klobuchar is going to try to stick around for a while longer. Is that a reasonable analysis? Sure. I, 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 as I said, we don't know which of these candidates. Uh, is going to drop. We don't know if, for instance, uh, one candidate who had momentum for a week, whether that will be eclipsed by another candidate who takes that momentum or whether somehow two candidates can coexist, uh, you know, with 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 momentum. So we're we're looking at a race that's still unfolding. So let's, let's back up just to use California because it's the big kahuna, the mother of them all. So the, the delegates are in if you don't get to 15%, you get nothing. Is that the case? It's by CD and statewide. So it's there's 53 districts. There's 54 contests. Right, right, right. All right. So you guys are smart. Let's see if my <laughs> translation is right. You, you have statewide delegates, and in order to qualify for those, you have to get 15%. In the statewide vote, yes. Right. Correct. Okay. Within 54 congressional districts, there are delegates, and in order to qualify in each district, you need 15%. So if I get 14% in District 23, I get nothing. If I get 16 in District 24, I, I, I get delegates. Is that correct? That's correct. 53 CDs. I'm sorry, 53. I, I said 54. I stand corrected. Okay. Let's go to Texas. Are there statewide, uh, is there a 15% threshold in Texas? statewide for the primary and then 15 percent in each of the state senate districts there's 31 senate okay, districts so 31 all right so when you're watching there are, do we off the top of our head what percent of statewide as opposed to allocated by the districts it, about a third is statewide about a third. about a third okay so when you're watching election night you watch the statewide total and whoever you're pulling for you, you sure want them to get above 15 for sure I mean, as, as much exactly. as you can get, and that'll get you a third. Then in each congressional district, you want your your person, I'm not going to say guy, because that's you know, your person, to get 15 or more. All right, in Texas, it's the state senate district. I totally understand, Jeff. You, you have enlightened me. I, 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 I feel at peace and comfortable now. Oh, man, what a service you performed, Jeff. But, but again, when you look at that, Jeff, um, boy, you know, it was a, a famous California politician, Jess Unruh, who said money's the mother milk is the mother's milk of politics. But you look at California with those 53 districts uh, out there. If you have money, you know, you can go in and, 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 and make a big deal digitally or ads in Bakersfield. You don't have to just worry about L.A. and and the and the and the Bay Area. There's a tremendous I mean, more than usual with this system, tremendous advantage in having lots of resources. And I can't I mean, I can see Mayor Pete or Amy Klobuchar coming out of Nevada and South Carolina. Man, it's hard to see how they compete uh, in most of those states. Well, it's very expensive. There's 15 states voting on Super Tuesday. We've mentioned California and Texas, but there's obviously a large number of additional states, not as large as those two, but still, it all adds up. There's a lot of media markets uh, just in those states, and then, of course, in the other 13 states. And so it's... Uh, it is a heavy pull financially. It's definitely uh, demanding. Including, ironically, that day, Minnesota and Massachusetts, the home states of Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, but, boy, it is. And, and Vermont. Right. And, uh, and, right. Okay. All right. Sorry, Bernie. I, you know, somehow. <laughs> and, I think, and California is Dom Steyer's home state. Somehow, that's right. Somehow I think of those 16 delegates in Vermont. My money's on Bernie. Yes. I think he took 
all of them against Hillary. I don't think she broke threshold right. in 2016. I am starting to hear a little bit that Starr might surprise people somewhat in South Carolina. It, 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 are these people full of malarkey or there's some reason to believe he could do a little better than people think? No, I think I think that's correct. What what has happened is throughout the fall, Tom Steyer was campaigning uh, very actively in both Nevada and South Carolina. He was running a full load of, of television advertising, digital advertising, hiring staff. In South Carolina, Tom had over 100 staffers uh, by the end of the year. And what was really well done is that those staffers were nearly all African-American and native South Carolinian. So these are people from their communities uh, on Tom's staff. And uh, rather than bringing in people from up north or out west who didn't know the state. And so uh, he's built a, a very substantial organization also in Nevada and he has paid particular attention to outreach to African-American and Latinx voters uh, in both states. Obviously, uh, Latinx voters are more of a factor in Nevada, but um, he's done his homework. He's been working on the ground in those states. And so uh, to me, it, it will be no surprise at all because I'm aware of it. But I think to a lot of people who were focusing on Iowa. So, so what you're saying is me, me yeah. as a commentator, I would not make, a, I would not necessarily make a fool of myself as I said, you know, if I had to, if I was making my, you know, exotic bet, I would put star in it, you know, that he might, he might be some, something to keep an eye on as we go into South Carolina, Nevada. Yeah, no, you're right. And one other thing is his messaging and, and Tom, has been talking about the economy since he spent his career in, pri in, in the private sector. Uh, he's been talking about growing the economy, having a middle-class tax cut for everyone uh, from middle-class on down in the lower-income section, uh, at the same time as reversing the Trump tax cuts uh, for the upper income. And so it's, it's a message that also resonates in Nevada, which has no state income tax, and in South Carolina. Well, 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 Jeff, can he goes assuming he does as well as 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 you and James are talking about in South Carolina, which is a, you're looking at polls, a distinct possibility. Can he compete with Mike Bloomberg's money on Super Tuesday? And then the next couple of weeks you have Michigan and Florida and Ohio. I mean, Super Tuesday is expensive, but it doesn't stop. Yeah, well, that's true. Listen, I've not personally looked into Tom Steyer's checkbook, but I I believe he has the resources he is running uh full clock right now in california you know the early vote is underway uh in that state and uh, a lot of people don't talk about it uh it was also a factor in 2016 by the way the early vote because california was an early state a super tuesday state in uh, 2008 right but in 2016 it had moved back so now it is returned as as we've been talking about as a super tuesday state and that early vote begins a month early so they're voting. So, so March, March 3rd is a big date. That's Super Tuesday. All right. When is the next big date that we look for where you're going to have a, a, a passel of, of, of delegates selected? Well, that is a great question because this year we have a very different schedule than we've seen in the past. So we have this huge voting of 15 states on Super Tuesday. One week later, on March 10th, we have a number of states voting that have almost 10% of all the delegates in the country. And the week after that, on the 17th, we have Arizona, Florida, Illinois, and Ohio all voting. And that that's another 15% of the country. So when you take... So we're going to know a pretty good bit here in a, in a month. It's 15 days of voting from the 3rd to the 17th. It's essentially a two-week period. And over 50% of the delegates are elected in that short period. And and you mentioned, you know, the big ones on the on the, um, uh, uh, the uh, 17th. 17th. But on the 10th, you, you have Michigan and Missouri and Washington State. Yep. Mississippi. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. No, they're... So what we're looking at is a sort of blitz of most of the country voting in a 15-day window that starts on Super Tuesday. And so, yeah, uh, I, when that 15 days is over, everybody's going to be able to look at the allocation of delegates to the candidates. 
And your question about what are the chances, you know, that a candidate won't get to 51%, I would say on uh, March 18th, if you haven't learned already, you'll probably have a pretty good idea. You will. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. It, it's, it's so uh, all, uh, uh, most of these other states, the same version of a model of California and Texas where some of it goes to the winner of the statewide and then some and the rest is allocated by designated political subdivision, be it congressional seat or state senate seat or something else. Is that is that the general model in the Democratic Party? It, it definitely is. It's true in every state other than a caucus state, isn't it, Jeff? Well, it applies in the caucus states also. Yeah. So it's all it's all going to be threshold and, and, and proportional representation. And, and by the way, let me say, since Al mentioned the caucus states, one of the biggest changes we've had from 2008 when we had that really historic uh, nomination fight between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama is there are far fewer caucus states today than we had at that time. And as you may remember, uh, President Obama won essentially all of the caucus states and by a margin that really was the national margin for his delegate lead, in effect. She, she actually and relitigate 2008, but by most things, she actually got more votes. But they didn't do the caucus thing because Mark Penn, who was the strategist in, in, in December 2007, <laughs> argued that California was a winner-take-all state. Yeah, of course, it was no such thing. So let's forget about that for a second. <laughs> well, that's history, and I was not in that campaign headquarters, right. yeah, so I cannot I comment I, I, I on what you're talking about. I understand. I wasn't in but it either. To tell James, you the truth, you know, but three people have told me to, who I trust, and I know it's true. I, yeah, we're, we're you know we're talking about you got to get 15 percent in every CD or state senate and statewide. But but what kind of calculation do you make, Jeff? If you think I'm going to carry this district, is it possible to sit down and say, man, but I got to get I don't know 60 percent. I got to you want to get the most votes you can. But is there kind of a of uh, different levels of threshold. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can look and say, well, what will it take to win one delegate? Right. And what will it take to win two delegates? And uh, in a very multi-candidate field, if we have multiple candidates breaking threshold, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to get the second delegate. And I guarantee you it'll be hard to get a third delegate in a district if we have several candidates breaking threshold. Most of the districts have maybe five delegates in them. Five or six, yeah. 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 So, uh, and it varies according to Democratic voting strength. It can be as little as three and as high as, you know, 10 or 11. But basically, there are around five or six, most of them. So just hypothetically, if I, there are five, there are five delegates in a district and there are three candidates, two of them get 20 percent uh, and I get 60 percent, then they probably get one delegate apiece and I get three? Yeah, listen, if there's five delegates in a district, you need to get 15%, which is the basic threshold to win your right. first delegate. And you're going to have to get to about 30% to get a second, a delegate. second delegate. And so in a multi, well, nobody's gotten 30% yet, right? right uh, in right. Iowa, New Hampshire. Right. Now, obviously, if it's just two or three candidates competing, then, you know, yes, a candidate will get 30%. Yeah, you know, I guess the, the Carville's first rule of politics, on election day, it has to add up to 100. Okay? It just can't. It's not going to end up 33 to 30 to 20. It can't. It's got It's got to get, you, you, on election day, and, I, 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 and, I, and this is particularly short primaries, and people come to these no, I said, and it'll, it's no good. It's got to be 100 on election day. It's not, that, that it happens every time. And... You know, when I, as, as, you, as you go through this and think about what you said, man, Bernie has human resources. In other words, he's got 15% of the people in a lot of places. And Steyer and Bloomberg have financial resources. <laughs> they, they can compete in 53 different congressional di districts. I, 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 as I project forward, you know, Mayor Pete and Senator Klobuchar I think they have a, a little bit of a tougher time because they don't have the, the, the political reach that Sanders has for, for 15%. I don't think he's going to reach a lot more than that, but the 15% are the resources that our two billionaire candidates have. I, I think that's a factor to look at as we go forward. Yeah, I, and I don't think they're the same, by the way. I think Mayor Pete has built uh, 
a financial fundraising organization that's been pretty successful. I think Senator Klobuchar is uh, a little bit newer uh, in terms of establishing her traction in the race. So I think she probably has more work to do to, to build that fundraising. And no time to do it. And basically. very little time. Very little time to do it, right. Let me ask you and Albert to, let me ask you and Albert to, to react to something that I read. John B. Judas, I'll read everything John B. Judas says. I think he's a smart panelist. And he was talking about the demise, and this is nothing to do with Tom Sawyer. He was talking about the demise of Warren, and he said something interesting. He said if Warren would have had the Buttigieg managers, and Buttigieg would have had the Warren managers, that Warren would have beat Buttigieg. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I think her campaign started making some really kind of flawed decisions, if you will. And, and, and the basic premise of their campaign was we can't give Bernie any oxygen on the left. When the truth of the matter is, and when Ann Seltzer, we interviewed her in the first poll when Warren was doing pretty good, she was the second choice of more Buttigieg voters even than she was Sanders voters. And I think that the Warren campaign went into this election with a flawed theory. You can tell me you disagree or whatever, but I'm, and both of you. Well, uh, I will say this. I will say uh, that uh, Senator Warren was very successful before she wasn't as successful. So I'm not sure right. uh, you can criticize her original approach because, hey, it was it was working for I, a while. I don't think like the original. Yeah. No, it sure what people are, are criticizing is they made the decision to engage and, and not give any Bernie any oxygen on the left. And that, that led to single payer of which she was had danced around but hadn't totally embraced it. And then once she put out the, the, the payment mechanism, she was stuck with it, you know? And then it, it caused her to answer questions. And the first thing that flashes in her mind is, I can't let Bernie be any more liberal on me than the question, which produces an answer like you'll be able to vote the education secretary. I just think at a point that a theory of the case was flawed. Jeff, am I, you know, you, you've been terrific. We appreciate it. But let me just say, you, you think it's perfectly possible. That, let me put it this way. By March 18th, we will have a pretty good idea as to whether one person has a pretty good pathway. I don't have it sewed up. Or whether there is a greater likelihood than ever that we'll have a, whatever we call it, a broker convention, a contested convention in Milwaukee. Yeah, for sure. I, I do think we'll have a, an idea by then. How many superdelegates today? There are over 700. And they only get to vote in the second round. Exactly. But they're going to be the whole ball of wax. If, if there's no uh, winner on the first round. But keep in mind, uh, just because someone has not earned 51% of the pledge delegates on their own, that doesn't mean they can't combine with another candidate. Exactly to achieve 51% and how that will unfold. Of course, we've never seen that in modern times. Right. Jeff Berman, uh, you know, someday uh, I'm going to publish, you may have published already. We, by accident, got a copy of your projection of every uh, caucus and primary in early February of 2008 through uh, June 6th. And I got to tell you, when you go back and look at it now, you were 98% accurate, which is one hell of a batting average. So uh, there's a reason that you're a legend, and I can't. You, I think you've. I know you have educated me, James, and I think you would agree that we've both been uh, yeah, educated I, today. I, I was dying to do this show. I pushed for it because at the, at the end of the day, the, the the coin of the realm is delegates. Okay, and I think we learned a lot. I think by March 18th, the 5:38 probability number for whatever it is is going to be way above 50. Yeah. Jeff Berman, uh, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, as this thing goes on, uh, we hope we can get you back because I don't think your expertise uh, was exhausted today. I think it's going to be even more in demand as we uh, proceed these next three or four weeks. Thanks an awful lot. Well, happy, happy to do it today and to return. And yeah, I, 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 I'm going to say I'm, I watch Tom Starr. Yeah, keep an eye on him. I, and I believe South that. Carolina Here and we, Nevada. And Nevada. Uh, right. Exactly. Right. Here we come. All right. Thank you.
James, we have, you know, our highlight now, Christy Numbers Harvey, who's going to toss a couple numbers at us. Uh, so uh, be prepared. Get your calculator out, James. Go ahead, Harv. Yeah, you're not going to need much of a calculator today. I'm just going to warn you guys at the top, I'm on so much Dayquil right now that I can barely see straight. But I was able to do a little <laughs> bit of math, so this could be woo, a little bit of a wild ride. But I've got two numbers for you today. Um, the first number is $2 trillion. Uh, $2 trillion is the amount of cuts to safety net and student loan programs in the White House new budget proposal. Uh, this proposal, which came out on Monday, is just devastating. Almost all of these cuts come in programs that help the poor. Uh, for example, 15% cut for funding for the Department of Housing and Urban Development, getting rid of funding for rental assistance for low-income people, one that's close to my heart. It's cutting uh, the Education Department's funding for work-study programs, allowing people without a ton of money to pay their way through college. It cuts food stamps. It cuts environmental, prote environmental protections. And, and, and. So, James, I feel like I always give my angry questions to you, but here's my first question. This budget it's going to cut all of these programs that help people climb out of poverty and that invest in this country and in our ability to be smart and healthy and strong. How on earth are they this short-sighted that we're cutting investments in us? This is a time for a political politics 101 from James Carville. And it's this. To choose to talk about one thing is not choose to talk about another thing, all right? And uh, these things are horrific. The headline is Trump flies to Davos, tells people that he gave a trillion dollars worth of tax cuts to that he's going to cut Medicare after the election. You don't need anything else. This is supplemental stuff. It is very good because if they try to answer, you can hit them back. A good campaign would take this kind of stuff and where it particularly hurt somebody. They would targeted to that congressional district or that state or anything. But the big overreaching message with a visual, not a, not a chart, is him standing there in Davos telling those people that he is going to go back to the United States and cut Medicare of the people that voted for him. And I don't know why, why we can't do that. And this other stuff is golden. We should keep it. We should collate it. We should digest it. We should do everything with it. But the Democratic Party and candidates and, and, and MSNBC and CNN, whoever it is, the New York Times, the, 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 the entire thing, instead of covering all this ancillary shit, they should say the President of the United States, after and they go 16,000 lies that no one cares about other than us, he said he wouldn't do it. He went to Davos and he said he would. That matters to people. That matters profoundly to people. In addition to Mike Pence, at the same time, telling people in the United States he was going to cut Medicaid. One of the great unknown and underappreciated things in American public opinion is Medicaid is just as popular as Medicare. And for the life of me, I urge these Democratic candidates, I urge these Democratic groups, I urge the people in the press, I urge everybody, Davos, Medicare, it ain't that hard. That's, that's, my, that's my general view. It, 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 in all of this, the supplemental heating assistance, the, 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 the schools that he's done, of course they're going to do everything they can to hurt poor people and, and help rich people. They're doing everything they can to hurt middle-class people, too, or anybody. Anybody that is trying to make it in this world gets kicked in the teeth. Anybody that has already had, had it made in the world gets a helping hand. That's what this is about. That's what it, it's that simple. Well, I just hope when they when they talk about this, that they talk about this other stuff, you, you, Harv, you got to personalize it. I mean, it's not enough to say they're doing awful things, but there are stories out there, there are sagas out there that really do uh, break your heart, and if they do that effectively... Uh, that's much better than just a, uh, I mean, we know what, what, how cruel uh, these policies are. What else you got for us, Harv? All right, I got one more, and uh, we're going to sports. Going to sports. Um, so the number's 14. 
So 14, that's the number of teams that Major League Baseball is going to inject into postseason baseball. The whole idea is to get a bunch more teams into the wild card process. It's super complicated. I don't quite understand it, but they're going to add more reality style fun uh, to the proceedings. Now, I am the girl with a giant sign in my office that says, keep baseball boring. I like boring baseball. Um, I can't figure this out. It's all extravaganza. Um I'm I'm not feeling it, but Hunt, uh, I know that you sometimes differ from me on this. You you like the uh, the hoopla. What do you think? Are you into this? Well, I think the rollout was really stupid. I think they did a yeah. poor job on the rollout. <laughs> There's no question of that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, they're, they're doing it to make money. That's what it's all about. That's why the NFL expanded their playoffs. That's why M- 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 MLB is doing that, both for, you know, get more teams in. Uh, you know, the downside is there are going to be teams that, 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 that have below 500 records that are going to be in the playoffs, uh, you know, and that's kind of stupid. Uh, the one thing that's kind of quirky that I sort of like is that if you're a top team, you get to pick which of the wild card teams you want to play against. My <laughs> guess is, my guess is the GMs and managers won't like that, but I think that's good for the fans. Every playoff system in every sport should be designed for one thing: to make the regular season relevant as you can, and to make the postseason as exciting as you can. If you and I and Albert, who follow baseball, closer to 95% of the people in the United States don't understand what they're doing, then it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You have to, un- and, and if the rule is anything other than the best teams have a, you know, a real distinct advantage, like, well, I don't know if anything is really wrong with the baseball playoffs. I mean, I, when I think of things that you need to fix, I, I like the, 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 the one card where you make the, the pennant worth something. I, you know, people complain about the, you know, uh, it may be a 154 game season, but of course that cuts back on the money. But th- if it's too complicated for me to understand, I understand how, how the NCAA basketball tournament works. I understand how the college football playoff works. I understand how the college World Series works. I understand how everything works until they come up with this. And I, I mean, I. I know they're trying to make more money, and the way they make more money is increased fan interest, which is good. Yeah, James. The fact of the matter is, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're right, but we're relics. They're going to do it. The NFL did it. They all they do is make more money. I know, but I don't mind. Hey, wait, wait, wait. The NFL. The NFL used to have four teams. Four teams. <laughs> They weren't a wild card. They're now up to 12. Pretty soon they'll be up to 18. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, I just want to tell you. I, yeah, well, you'll, you'll, you'll learn these rules, too. It'll take a while, though. Same with me. So I, I did a magazine, one of these preseason baseball magazines I was reading it on a plane. And I just got sick of thinking of politics. And for each club, they had where you rank in attendance and where you rank in payroll. All right. And by far, the largest differential in attendance rank in payroll, you would be happy to know, is the Washington Nationals. We are 10, no other team did this. We're, we're 10 points, 10 places more in payroll than we are in attendance. Now, I understand a team like Milwaukee that does really well in attendance doesn't do that well in payroll because Milwaukee is not that big of a market or something. But it was really impressive to see that. James, you're wandering down the that, Pacific Coast well, Highway. No, I'm not at all. I'm, I'm not at all. I, we're 16th in attendance and 6th in payroll. If, if somebody can't understand that, that's not the Pacific Coast. I just want them to be first, I, I first I, I in just, playoffs. I just want to understand. The, the idea is we pay people more than, a, than our attendance. That is that's easy concept to understand. Right, right. That's not the Pacific Coast. So the most important thing is to be first in the playoffs, Harv, right? Absolutely. And this time next year, you know I'm going to be totally into the wild card thing and think that I was for it the entire time. So you can just call me on it then. But for right now, uh, it's not my thing. You're terrific. Uh, once again, a great show. Thank you. And thanks for Terry McAuliffe and Jeff Berman. You don't, you don't do any better than that. James, uh, let's hope that... Well, the next week can't produce as many traumas, we don't think, as the last week, but we'll see. Uh, and thank you all for listening. And again, uh, I hope you will rate... Uh, review uh, and subscribe. Be be generous. Uh, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For James Carville, thank you. <laughs>